get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Illinois, one stop for a share of the Big Ten Championship. Perkins, Murray, Chris Murray, three ball, no, tipped around. That is it. Illinois shares the Big Ten title. Everyone and welcome to Carriker and a very happy Smallman <laughs> on 101 ESPN at 7:01. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. I'm Randy Carriker and good morning, Michelle. Good morning, <laughs> Randy Carriker. It is a great day here in St. Louis. So for the first time since you were in school, mm-hmm. Illinois has a share of the Big Ten Conference Championship. They will be the number one seed, overcoming a 15 point deficit last night to beat number 24 Iowa. And claim that number one team. I didn't realize it had been that long. Yeah, 17 years in the making. You would have th- you would have thought it would have happened last year, but no, 17 years in the making hasn't happened since 2005. And even though we have to share it, I'll take it. Absolutely. I will take it all day. And I would never, ever, ever, ever begrudge a student's right and ability to storm the floor. Those kids were either not born or would never remember 2005. So those kids are experiencing that moment for the first and probably only time Mm -hmm. in their college career. And when you get that chance... And you can storm the court or storm the field. I'm glad that kids, nobody ever gets hurt doing that. So <laughs> I love the fact that kids are enthusiastic enough to storm the court. And, and those kids are going to be Illinois basketball fans for forever. life. That's yeah. a moment that they're going to have with them forever. I mean, I remember being in the Orange Crush my freshman year, falling in love with the basketball team. It's why I'm sitting in this chair right now, <laughs> Randy. But what a scene it was yesterday, senior night. Everything had to fall their way in the other games. As you said, they had to rally back. It was a really, really special night for the Illini. Yeah, you're in trouble when you're relying on Nebraska to win a game. That is true, <laughs> but you know what? The stars aligned. <laughs> they sure did. 21 <laughs> points, 14 rebounds, 3 assists for Kofi Coburn, 34 minutes, and Illinois advances to the Big Ten tournament as the number one seed. Other college basketball, by the way, over the weekend, SLU nearly blew a 21-point lead against VCU. They hang on to win by four, and they finish in fifth in the A-10. They're going to play their first tournament game on Thursday. Mizzou won a game. Congratulations to the Tigers, 79-69 over Georgia. Georgia only had one conference win in 2022. Randy, football school. Yeah, totally football school, (laughs) yeah. 
And uh, also Loyola won the uh, Missouri Valley Conference automatic bid. They beat Drake yesterday over at Enterprise Center. 64-58, congratulations to the Ramblers who win the MVC title in their last year there. Arch Madness and Sister Jean was in the house, so you knew they were going to win. Oh, yeah. You knew that they had it in the bag. Sister Jean was there. Totally in. The Jason Tatum minute, the St. Louis for the Celtics. 54 points with five rebounds, three assists in a 126-120 win over the New York Brooklyn Nets. He's unbelievable. What a stretch he's on. They've won 14 of 16, I believe it is, Michelle, and he's carried them. He had 54, as you said. It's the most by a Celtics player versus the Nets in NBA history. No other Celtics player has even scored 50 versus the Nets, and he now has two of the top four scoring performances in franchise history with 60 and now 54. He's unbelievable. He's our guy, Jason Tatum Minute here on Carriker and Smallman. The Blues dropped two over the weekend, 2-1 to the Islanders on Saturday, 3-2 in overtime to the Devils yesterday. Not much control for the Blues, not much getting to the net, eh? And not much offensive zone time. And again, yesterday, the Blues had a slow start. Didn't start very well on Saturday. And then yesterday, more of the same for Craig Berube's team. We're just, we don't have the puck enough. Um, and when we do get it, we're not executing, making any plays. So we give it back to them. And that's really what it boils down to. you got to make plays and you got to execute. And, you know, otherwise you're just chasing. I think that's the case. I think it's weird that teams can't find their game. It seems like it'd be pretty easy just to play your game, but it's not, obviously, because especially with that game, you with the game they play, the four-checking game, the puck possession game, you do have to make sacrifices, and you do have to play hard all the time. All the time. And it just didn't happen for the Blues. And I wonder, Michelle, how much being in New York for six days has to do with that. That's the first thing I thought of. We knew that. Well, well, I would expect a different outcome yesterday after what we saw on Saturday. Uh-huh. I would think that even, even though they were able to turn it on in the third period, that you would have come out flying after that game on Saturday versus the Islanders yesterday. But we didn't see that. But... I know that that it's a great place to be in New York City. I know the guys probably went out and did some things, some bonding time. Maybe they bonded a little too much, Randy. <laughs> Could be. N- New York, New York. It's so nice they named it twice. But that's no excuse, and there's no reason that on March 7th you should be talking in your post-game press conferences about finding the identity of your team. That's concerning for me. Blues will take on Brady Kachuk and the Senators tomorrow night. Back home at Enterprise Center. That's a 7 o'clock start. 6 o'clock pregame with Alex Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Then the Rangers will visit on Thursday night before the Blues head back out on the road back-to-backs this coming weekend at Nashville and then home against Winnipeg, and that's an early start, 6 o'clock next Sunday night. Major League Baseball players made a new offer to owners that includes rules changes allowing pitch clocks, larger bases, and shift restrictions. No change on that competitor. Let's just call it what it is. Let's call it the Scott Boris tax. Major <laughs> League Baseball says players the players' proposal actually went backward. And the reason that I call the competitive balance tax the Scott Boris tax, Michelle, is that Really, only three, maybe four franchises are affected. The the Yankees, the Mets, and the Dodgers. Nobody else will even flirt with that tax anymore. The, the Boston Red Sox, they traded Mookie Betts to get under the tax. Yeah. And then they hired Heim Bloom, a Tampa Bay guy, to stay under that tax. Mm-hmm. They aren't going to flirt with that anymore. So basically what the players want, for all of their rhetoric about how we want to protect the younger guys in the future, what they want to protect are... What they want to do is get Juan Soto $45 million a year. He's a Scott Boris client. You've got 
Scherzer in New York with the Mets, right? You've got um, Garrett Cole, a, a Boris guy with the Yankees. And those are teams that flirt with the tax and will pay a guy $35, $40, 45000000 million a year. And it's just one more for when Juan Soto becomes a free agent. Scott Boris wants that CBT so high so that even if a team wants to sign Juan, Juan Soto for $45 million a year, they won't be affected by a luxury tax paying dollar for dollar. So that's what it comes down to is that the union essentially is controlled by Scott Boris. Why would a player, let me just give you an example here, a, a, a free agent right now, why would Joe Kelly care about a competitive balance tax? He's, he might sign a contract for $10 million. He's not going to sign for 30. Why does he care what the Mets, Yankees and Dodgers are going to do in terms of Going over two hundred and twenty or two hundred and thirty million dollars. Also, these are these are competitors. I know that they want to get as much money as possible for a system that is incredibly flawed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys go through the minors and and they make no money essentially for a long time. So I know that they want to get paid while they can. But these are also highly competitive people that want to win. Don't you think that they instead of this tax, they would be more in favor of having a salary cap so they know no matter where they land and whichever team pays them, they at some point in the cycle might have a chance to actually win a World Series championship? I can't imagine that there aren't a couple of players that are smart enough to look around and see that the Milwaukee Bucks are the champions of the NBA, that the Kansas City Chiefs have been to four straight AFC championship games, that the Cincinnati Bengals Mm -hmm. were in the Super Bowl, that the St. Louis Blues won a Stanley Cup. I can't believe that there aren't players around baseball that look around and recognize this and at the same time recognize that basketball and football have as many or more $30 million a year players as they do. And that more people are watching the sport. Right. So not only no matter where you go, could you at some point potentially have a chance to win or at least know that your team is trying to build uh, mm-hmm. around you or around the players that you have to get you in that position, you know that long term, it's probably going to be better for you because more people and more markets are interested in your sport. But this is like a lot of society that people, in this case, baseball players, just believe what they're told by the union and they don't look around and they don't try to broaden their horizons by using the Google machine. It's all you have to do. Use the Google machine, players. You can figure it out. This is why we need the CSP, the common sense person to come in and say, hey, hey, guys, I know you're trying to make a lot of money. Read the room here. Right. You're falling behind. Read the room. Evolve or die. That's that's really where baseball is right now. Evolve or die. And hopefully... From my perspective, they do accept, the, the owners accept at least that part of the proposal for the rules changes. No shifts, larger bases, and pitch clocks for 14 seconds with nobody on base, 19 seconds with people on base. One other note here among the headlines, tomorrow is the deadline for teams to designate franchise players in the NFL, and the Chiefs have done so with offensive tackle Orlando Brown. He's the only player tagged with a franchise tag so far. So those are your headlines. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, our friend Aeneas Williams has a really interesting interview coming up later today, and we're going to have him tell you about it and tell him uh, he's going to give us something positive for today on a Monday. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Good to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And our friend, the Hall of Famer, Aeneas Williams, does great things to make our society better. Does it all the time. And he has a men's locker room that you can attend or watch on Zoom. And he's got a really special interview coming up today. And Aeneas is with us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Good morning, sir. How are you? I am fantastic. Good morning, Randy, and all of the beautiful people in St. Louis. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're, we're thrilled to have you on, and I want to know about your interview that you're going to conduct today. Yes, we have, uh, we have the topic tonight at our men's locker room. It happens every first Monday of the month, and our guest via Zoom is Michael Vick, and our topic is responsibility. And who better to... I've seen uh, Michael Vick's maturation, been knowing it for quite some time. It's publicly known the challenges that he's had and some of the decisions that he made that were not great decisions. But to see this young man work with Fox, uh, recover from Atlanta Falcons to uh, Philadelphia Eagles plan for Andy Reid, I'm excited to hear the story about how he took responsibility for the decision that he made and how he's now parlayed that into moving forward, learning from it, and now being what I would really call it, Randy, Michael Zick is the model quarterback, the ability to run uh, athletically and throw the ball well with this young generation of uh, multifaceted quarterbacks that we have in the game today. And yes, you're absolutely right about Michael Vick. We've seen such an evolution in him as a person. And I don't know if you've had any conversations with him prior to the one that you're going to have today. But do you know what might have caused that change in him? Well, one, yes, I have had a conversation. We've talked and it's just his realization being in prison and part of the work he does with his foundation is working with uh, ex-convicts coming out and being reformed and educated and assimilated well into society and talking with him. I'm excited because he's going to also share. Uh, it's, I talked to a federal judge, Judge Shaw. I think he's retired now. And I asked him why the conviction rate in federal court, why it's so high? I think it's over 90%. And he said because a lot of times people that appear before a federal judge they don't go to jail for the crime. They go to jail for the cover-up. And one of the things, listening to an interview uh, with Arthur Blank, who stood behind Michael, the owner of Atlanta Falcons, that stood behind Michael when he finally found the truth and Michael had a conversation with him. He asked Michael, he says, "When? why didn't you know? Did you know this was wrong? And Michael said to him, he said, you have to understand, Arthur, Everything all my life growing up, I've always had people around me to be able to cover things and take care of things. And I thought, he said, I thought this would be the same thing. So going back to the federal judge, Judge Shaw, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. And once he finally had that conversation with Arthur Blank, came clean, went through uh, his contrition experience while in prison, and his ability to now come back and be an example for others, it's it's a story of responsibility uh, that men and women, each and every one of us, is not so much what's happened in our country, is those in this current generation and subsequent generation taking a responsibility 
uh, each individually and collectively to do something different. Also, as you mentioned, Arthur Blank standing behind him. I think that's an important lesson in all of this, too, is sometimes when you do something wrong, you need someone to stand by you and support you and help you grow. Because I think a lot of times today we just want to write people off whenever they make a mistake. But there's really so much power in standing by someone in their lowest moments. Hey, you're, you're definitely right. And a lot of times humans have a tendency to extremely judge people for things that they are doing. And the other part about human nature, it's hard for us to admit that we're wrong. But taking ownership, and that's what we're talking about tonight, because ultimately, as a Christ follower, uh, I, w- I could sum up Jesus' mission coming on the earth, dying on the cross for our sins, as him taking responsibility for the original Adam's uh, sin. And he literally took responsibility through his own life, and that's the model that we're to find out and and fo- follow and be able to help others. And the great thing about the game of football, and one of my greatest assets, Randy, is it's the ability to overcome a bad play. And a lot of times people try to hide the mistakes that they made, not realizing these things that we've done wrong and the things we've done right are both a benefit to the next and subsequent generations that are following us. The Hall of Famer Aeneas Williams with us on 101 ESPN. Aeneas, we'll give this a couple of times. What time is the men's locker room tonight, and how can people access it? It's 7 p.m., and they can go right to our website, thespiritchurch.org, or whatever streaming device, whether it's Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, live stream, they're able to access it. But go through our website, thespiritchurch.org. Starts at 7 p.m., and we'll be out of there uh, around 8.15, and I'm excited because you could join uh, via Zoom. Michael will be on via Zoom, and you can come in person, and we're looking forward to a wonderful evening. That's great. It, great. It's 7 o'clock at the Spirit Church. Aeneas, how often do you reach out to players and try to mentor somebody that's in a situation like Michael Vick or players that are having having legal or what you perceive as spiritual trouble? How often, as a former NFL player that they use during their rookie symposium, how often do you get in touch with guys? A lot or just a little? No, it's a lot. Part of the work that I do, Randy, I actually am senior advisor to the vice president of football operations, and I work with Troy Vinson, who's created, uh, he along with Tracy Perlman in the league's office, they came up with the brainchild of the legends, and the legends community are former players, regardless of how many years that they played, they're designated as a legend, because if you made it to the NFL, got in the training camp, wherever you came from, you literally have done something that many uh, millions of guys that have played football have not done. So my work in that space is to get legends together and have these conversations. I can remember the Honey Badger, uh, Tyran Matthew, my fellow New Orleans, drafting in the third round like I was, and reached out and had, had the opportunity to connect with him when he was having challenges that many may remember while at LSU and being able to talk to guys like him and see the maturation of of, of Tyrant and seeing how he's grown and matured with family. And that's what I love to see because, man, when you're making this kind of money, Randy, and uh, you can imagine at, what, 19, I'm sorry, 20, 21, because most of the great ones are now only playing three years in college. But all the guys have to understand that there's nothing new under the sun. They've, we've already made the mistakes, have the scars, So a wise person learns from other people's mistakes. I guess one of the best ways to say it, 
your own personal experience is the slowest and most expensive way to learn. Wise people learn from other people's mistakes. And that's what I enjoy with the current players and celebrating them, but also just reminding them of the things uh, that we did uh, good and the things we didn't do so well. And there are a lot of reasons that I love Aeneas Williams, and that's one of them is that you don't judge somebody on their past. You don't judge somebody on their feelings. You judge somebody on what they are and what they can be. And no doubt, that's the beauty of humanity, because we're all evolving. The great thing about our country is our country is a forgiving country. But sometimes before we forgive you, it looks like, man, we, we shoot the person that's jacked it up. But a lot of times it's maturity. Some people have done it well. Somebody go, sometimes they're going to uh, play a round of golf and they hit every ball in the fairway and, and they do a, well, a great job getting on the greens and get the ball in the hole. And there are times in a, in you go and it looks like, and it's professionals, it looks like you've never seen a golf ball before. But neither of those experiences dictate today. And that's the great thing about uh, every morning that we wake up, Randy, no matter what you've done, good or bad, is like a dry cement. Every morning we get a chance to wake up. Even though cement yesterday is dry, what we've done has already been done. God allows a way of forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, and, and whatever you believe. But the, still, the same thing is, every morning, that big, bright, shining object, the sun, uh, reminds us that we have another opportunity to make a better decision today than we did yesterday. Hey, Aeneas, I like Tom Brady now. <laughs> <laughs> I figured you I figured you did. And when, when I get a chance to talk to him again, I will say, Tom, you are a miracle worker. <laughs> because in your retirement, you have drawn more people to love you than when you ever played. That's amazing. It's a shock for all of us, Aeneas, that he likes Tom Brady. It's a real shock for all of us. And guess what? That's the beauty, just what you talked about. Anybody can change. Thank you, Randy, for <laughs> belief in us. Well, Aeneas, you're already turning our morning around because it's been a little dark here in St. Louis recently with everything that's going on in sports. We don't have any baseball. And I've been having a little bit of a faith crisis when it comes to sports recently. All the things that I seem to love about sports, the fact that it's a unifier and it connects so many people and it makes you feel part of something bigger than yourself has kind of taken a back seat in recent years with the Rams getting ripped out of St. Louis and baseball being sidelined all because of ego and greed. I, I'm kind of losing my faith in sports. And I'm wondering if, if you've seen that a little bit or if you have any counsel for us in St. Louis that have kind of been dealing with that over the past few years. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm quite sure a number of people are experiencing that. And I would say maybe not have so much of your faith in sports, but have your faith in people and their ability to finally figure out a way, even after having experience losses, experience difficulty. If we sit down, get together, let's come up with a unified vision, uh, continually for our city and our county, and let's find out, let's learn from mistakes of the past, and let's go forward to see how we can do it better today to continue. Because I want all of our young people who are being educated here, these great universities, great high schools, to have a promise to be able to want to stay in our region 
So this talent does not continue to leave our state, leave our geographical area because of opportunities in other places. So I'm excited to believe that if we're here, then God is saying we have the ability to solve some of these challenges. Hey, Aeneas, one more thing. I was talking to my wife about this interview yesterday because she's a big-time dog lover and is not forgiving, as most dog lovers are not, of what Michael Vick did. Uh, I'm willing to, and you don't forget it, but I'm willing to forgive because, like you were talking about, that was part of his past and it's part of the way he grew up. But when you see a guy do what he did, be punished for it, but in a sense, redeem himself. How much does that lift your heart to have a guy that you're going to interview tonight that has turned his life around? Well, it's great. There's a wonderful story, and and Jesus told his story that that a bunch of religious people that brought a woman who had been caught in adultery right in Jesus' presence while he was teaching in a synagogue in the middle of his message. And they said, Jesus, this lady was caught in adultery, and the Moses says we're supposed to stone her. And Jesus began to kneel down, uh, Randy, and as if he was writing on the ground. And then he looked up and he says, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And all the people, all of those who had their stones ready, began to lead. And what he was just simply saying, yes, Moses did say, but now I'm entering into uh, a period of time where grace will be if a person acknowledges their wrong, then when we take ownership, and that's what tonight is about, once you take ownership, then there's the possibility for other humans to be able to understand and say, okay, let's now take steps. Let's show us who you are now going forward and that you've learned from your mistakes. It's the men's locker room. It's the first Monday of every month. And tonight, you can just go to thespiritchurch.org. You can just Google the Spirit Church and go to the website at 7 o'clock. Or you can just go to the Spirit Church at 7 o'clock tonight. And Aeneas will be interviewing Michael Vick via Zoom. And we know you're traveling home. Safe travels, Aeneas. We love you and appreciate you talking about this today. And uh, I'll try to log in tonight at thespiritchurch.org. Thank you, guys. Let's go St. Louis. Let's go Cardinals. Let's get this, uh, this lockout uh, taken care of so we can have fun this spring. Definitely. Absolutely. Aeneas, thanks so much, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for having me on, Randy. Take care. That is the Hall of Famer, the great Aeneas Williams on 101 ESPN. When I grow up, Michelle, I want to be like Aeneas Williams. Listening to Aeneas Williams talk, it's like he charges our battery packs. Yeah. He, he just inspires you and makes you feel hopeful about everything around you. I, I've never had an interaction with Aeneas where I didn't feel that way. He's, he's somebody, and, and by the way, thespiritchurch.org, can you imagine listening to that for an hour? But just tuning in tonight, and if you go to thespiritchurch.org, he's obviously an incredibly forgiving person, an incredibly caring person, as we've seen from his contributions to our community over the years. And also somebody that gets it. He like he, he gets talk about it when I say what I do about Stan Kroenke. Mm-hmm. He, he understands humanity in such a way. And he's so positive about it that I don't think he can help but be a fan. No, he gets it. And the fact that, Randy, you have come so far in forgiveness when it comes to Tom Brady, you're a shining example. If Brady doesn't win that Super Bowl, I don't know if I feel the same way. But I, he did. So I, I, I do feel differently. I think he did that for you. 
Yeah. He really wanted to get you back on his side. Oh, you mean you, mean you mean the initial one? I thought you meant no, when he beat the Rams. That no. kind of brought you around. Oh no, when he went to with without any scent of cheating under Bill Belichick. You're when talking went, about Tampa Bay. Yeah, when he went to Tampa and got won. it. And the fact that Belichick still hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we reap what we sow. I think that's another one that Aeneas uses. Uh, coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Start one, bench one, cut one with Michelle and Randy and Matthew Rocchio on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do head. What? Start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. I always like to make this as difficult as I can for Michelle Smallman. You do. So, Michelle, I am going to go start one, bench one, cut one. Current St. Louis born and bred athlete edition. All right. Uh, start one, bench one, cut one from among Jason Tatum, Max Scherzer, and Matthew Kachuk. Ooh, that is really hard. Okay. Oh, man, Randy, that is difficult. They're all at different stages in their careers. They're all great in different ways, obviously. Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) I think... I I really like this one. It's kind of evil. This is really hard because I want to put Jason Tatum number one, but Max Scherzer is a champion. And a Hall of Famer. But Jason Tatum is a gold medal winner. So, (laughs) I don't know uh, what we're ranking as far as the hierarchy here. Uh, I think I will start Max Scherzer because he's at a different checkpoint in his career. And I think Jason Tatum and and if we're talking Tatum and Kachuk, I think they'll get there eventually. They're obviously on that trajectory. But just because of where he's at and everything he's accomplished, I'm going to start Max Scherzer. I'm going to bench Tatum and I'm going to cut Kachuk and I hate doing that. This was a very difficult one. You could make the argument any way you want. I am going to start Matthew Kachuk because he's going to be playing here within the next couple of years. He's going to be a St. Louis athlete playing yep. in St. Louis, yeah. I'm well, so will Jason Tatum when the NBA comes, that's Randy. Why I'm benching Randy, Tatum. Oh, okay, great. Randy, you got a little something right there in your nose. Oh, sorry. Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, and then I'm going to I'm going to cut Max Scherzer because he's never going to play here. Okay. Well, I appreciate that that logic. Yeah, thanks. I, I, St. Louis guys that play for St. Louis. I think when it's all said and done, we're going to start Jason Tatum in this conversation. When we talk about impact, when we talk about where they rank as far as the all-time greats to ever do it in their career, I think as obviously elite and singular as Max Scherzer has been as a talent in baseball, I think when when it's all said and done, Jason Tatum's going to be at the top. I agree. That's how this came up watching him yesterday. I'm I'm wondering, is he the greatest athlete ever to come out of St. Louis? And... You can make the argument if you wanted to right now, but I agree with you. When all is said and done, I think Jason Tatum will be the best that we've ever developed. Start one, bench one, cut one, Randy. Mm-hmm. Stanley Cup playoffs, March Madness, the Super Bowl. Okay. I am going to... Uh, I, I, I've... 
have a great deal of difficulty placing anything over the Stanley Cup playoffs because of the intensity that I feel once the Stanley Cup playoffs begin. And, and obviously with the Blues and the emotional involvement and the fact that they're in the playoffs every year. So I'm going to start the Stanley Cup. I'm going to bench March Madness for a couple of reasons. Number one, because of the upsets mm-hmm. and because of just the the nature of it, that it, it does engulf the entire country. Not that the Super Bowl doesn't, but the Super Bowl is three hours. The Stanley Cup playoffs go for two months. March Madness goes for a month. And we see so many different spectacular things. In the Super Bowl, we, we see one game. It's right. three hours. So I am going to cut the Super Bowl. So I was thinking about this last night. March Madness gets everyone in the country on board. It does. You know, people all over the country who have no interest in certain conferences were probably lo- looking at Loyola yesterday. And they're saying, oh, Loyola punched their ticket. Okay, yep. let's start to think about my bracket and think about the teams and the seedings. And it really does bring everybody, even if you know nothing about college basketball, you're filling out a bracket. Right, it's, exactly. It truly is one of the great things that we have in sports. So I was thinking about it. The Stanley Cup playoffs are amazing, but they're really only super amazing if your team's in it. They're kind of niche, yeah. Yeah. And the Super Bowl, you're right, it is one game and sometimes there's a bad matchup. Even though everyone in the country essentially is tuning into the Super Bowl, we've seen some duds before. Sometimes cities just don't even care. Yeah. it's Sometimes it's a dud. So I think I'm going to start March Madness. I'm going to bench the Super Bowl and I'm going to cut the Stanley Cup playoffs. Wow. But I would obviously start the Stanley Cup playoffs if your team's in it. But if the Blues were to somehow miss the playoffs or the seasons that they they do miss the playoffs I'll tune in to the Stanley Cup playoffs casually but it's never the same whereas with March Madness even if Illinois is not in it I'm filling out a bracket I'm I'm making sure I have no plans that first day that first weekend actually it's great all right, Matthew, what do you got? And uh, what do you got on the text line? And without a doubt, randomly, some 12 seed will capture your heart and that will become yeah. your team. And somebody will be mm-hmm. like, why are you rooting for so hard for them? And it's, you don't understand. This is my team. <laughs> uh, football movies. Start one, bench one, cut one. American underdog. Remember the Titans. Any given Sunday. Okay. Um, even though I love Kurt and I love the movie, remember the Titans is one of the all-time greats. Mm-hmm. Because I love Kurt, I'm going to bench American Underdog, and then I'm going to cut any given Sunday. I think I'm going to start Remember the Titans. Um, I do love Kurt as well, and I thought it was a good movie. It wasn't... If we're talking football movies, though, that was more a movie about love and family. That drew us in because of football. Correct, but I didn't get as much football as I would have yeah. liked. Any given Sunday, one of the all-time great speeches mm-hmm. in sports movie history. So I think I'm going to go. Remember the Titans start bench any given Sunday and cut American Underdog strictly because we're talking football movies, and that to me is a movie about overcoming things and about love, persevering, and football is just kind of in the background. All right. Another one that's going to test your, uh, your your St. Louis fandom here. Okay. Start one, bench one, cut one. Football coaches, John Madden, Vince Lombardi, Dick Vermeil. It's easy for me. Go ahead, Randy. Well, you got to take our Super Bowl winning coach, DB, don't you? <laughs> and then, all due respect to Vince Lombardi, John Madden was more than just a football coach. He was. John Madden was Ooh. a great commentator. There was the John Madden game. Uh, he was just... 
as, as huge as Vince Lombardi is in our life, what, 50 years after he passed away, I think it is 50, more than 51 years after he passed away, Lombardi will be remembered forever, but so will John Madden. So I'm taking Vermeil 1. I'm going to start DV. I'm going to bench John Madden, and I'm going to cut Vince Lombardi, of all things. Wow. So The man with the name on the trophy. Yeah. Get out. DV's won, what, two? Or uh, he's been to two, one, one. Been to two, one, one. Madden's won one. One, one, yep. One, one. Lombardi won five, right? He won two Super Bowls but five championships. Five yeah. championships. Okay, so I'm going to start Vince Lombardi. Just because we're talking numbers here, mm-hmm. the trophy's named after him. After you all, you know what though? I'm, as great it's as like he not was, putting the logo in your top ten in the NBA. As, as great as Vince Lombardi was, I don't think that if he doesn't die tragically of cancer, that the Lombardi Trophy is named the Lombardi Trophy. Wow! Hot take. Even though he was the coach of one of the most iconic franchises and had one, if perfectly executed, you can't stop the power sweep. Well, evidently you can. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to start Lombardi. <laughs> Didn't work that well in Washington, now did it. <laughs> I am going to bench DV just because I can't cut him Very ever. Mm-hmm. And I'll... Actually, but how do you cut John Madden? I mean, that's just insane. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, I'm going to change it up. I'm going to start Dick Vermeil because I love him. And he's he's the Very. best leader of people that I've ever been around. And almost made me want to run through a wall in Canton. I will bench John Madden strictly for the annexation of Puerto Rico. And sorry, Vince, I had just started and now I've cut it, you. There you go. My bad. By the way, this from uh, a very good source, Wikipedia. The uh, Lombardi Trophy was named after Vince Lombardi after he lost his battle with cancer in 1970. True. So, So I wonder if he doesn't pass away of cancer, if the thing might not be named after Pete Rozelle. Hmm. That's fair. Or Lamar Hunt, who, by the way, I came up with the name. I think his granddaughter had a Super Bowl. And he said, well, why, why don't we name it the Super Bowl? So it was one of those things. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next, we've got more of your texts. We've got Take It or Leave It. Michelle, Randy, and Matt on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. It's Michelle, it's Randy, it's Matt, and we've got Take It or Leave It coming up here on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Okay, Michelle, you mentioned the great speech that uh, Coach Tony D'Amato gave in Any Given Sunday. Mm -hmm. That was in our last segment. Uh, We had Norman Dale and Hoosiers. We've had some spectacular sports movie speeches, but Take It or Leave It, the greatest sports movie speech was actually a real speech, Herb Brooks in Miracle. I got to take it. It's, I don't know how you beat that. I don't know how you beat that. 
I don't think I don't well, think you can either. Can I take it conditionally? Yes. Because when a movie called Gloria is made about your 2019 oh, yeah. Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues, the chief dressing room speech before Game 7 will beat all of those. Yes, it will. Right. <laughs> Once that movie is made, it'll be number one. But I'm going to take as well that Herb Brooks' speech in Miracle is the greatest ever in sports movie history. And I just wish, I just wish that, and I think it was rated G, right? Make it a little PG so that he has the one before the gold medal game in there, too. I would love if that movie was made, but for an HBO audience. Right. Which they did the documentary, which was basically the movie. But all the players saying, you're blank and grave. You're blank and grave. Mm -hmm. So if if before the gold medal game, he said, boys, if you don't win this game, you're going to take that to your grave. Then as he's walking out the door in the doorframe, he turns around and says, you're blank and grave. Wow. I have chills. You're blank and grave. So good. We just Great. talked about it in the last segment, but I think the only one that compares would be uh, the speech in Remember the Titans at Gettysburg. Yeah, that was and great It also too. has obviously yeah. some you know real-life connotation to it as well. Right. Okay, guys. So uh, the Washington Commanders, even though our guy... Battlehawks legend, thank you, Taylor Heineke, um, was a great surprise for the Washington football team, now the Washington Commanders. They're reportedly looking around for a new quarterback. So ESPN's John Keim took a deep dive in on this to see what the Commanders were looking for. And he had this interesting nugget in his piece. He said, according to a source, Washington has reached out to every team to inquire about a quarterback's availability and the cost. The team started its search with a list of 42 quarterbacks. That's right. Every team in the NFL was contacted by the Washington Commanders, which means they contacted the Bills about Josh Allen. They're contacting the Bengals about Joe Burrow, and they're contacting the Chiefs about Patrick Mahomes. Take it or leave it. You actually like this approach because shoot or shoot. I'll take that. Yeah, you never know. Right. If I'm not mistaken, before the Rams traded for Matthew Stafford last year, they called the Packers about Aaron Rodgers. Why not? Yeah, take your shot. If if I'm Washington, I don't know if I could really do a thorough search unless I actually did ask every single team Mm -hmm. about every quarterback, even the Chiefs, about Patrick Mahomes. Is it ridiculous? Yes. Would I have loved to hear what they said on the other end of that phone call? Absolutely. But shoot or shoot. Take it or leave it. When all is said and done in five years, the number one quarterback acquisition this offseason is going to be Mitchell Trubisky. I'm going to leave that. Yes, he has a lot of skills. I love what they're saying about um, his learning curve in Buffalo and his athleticism and how he was in the wrong situation and just needs a coach mm-hmm. to trust him. I, I look forward to seeing Mitchell Trubisky get another shot, but I don't know if I could take that. Because if Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson is potentially on the move, that's going to be more impactful, likely, than a Mitchell Trubisky. And that's why I, I gave that, because I don't believe that those two are going to be on the move. Interesting. All right, Matthew, what do you got for us? Take it or leave it. Even though Mikkel has shown signs of promise this year, yesterday's game shows that they need a top four defenseman. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that, too. Now, getting that top four defenseman is a completely different conversation. But, yeah, they they need a guy that is willing to stand somebody. And not that Mikkel isn't, but he's just not consistent enough to go into the playoffs and say, okay, He's the guy you stand up against Landeskog and, and McKinnon when you're playing Colorado. You need somebody that's capable of doing that on the left side in your top four that's got some size and some bulk. Take it or leave it. The losses in New York. It's Army to make a trade this week. I'm going to leave that. Do you think that influences his decision at all? These, these past few games, these past three games? No, I would guess that decision's already been made. 
And the trade deadline is two weeks from today. If you've got a chip to trade and you're another team, why wouldn't you now go down to the wire and try to get your best offer? Well, I, I don't know why you'd think that you could get your best offer on the 7th when your trade deadline is two weeks from today. Yeah, you'll wait until the clock is ticking and people are feeling a little bit more pressure. A little bit more desperation, yep. Take it or leave it. Anish, Anish should be the mayor of STL. I can't think of anyone who has a better chance of uniting this region. He'll need to take plenty of showers to get the stink off, but hope springs eternal. Yeah, he, I'll take it. I, I think there's got to be a better thing for him because by nature, politicians are polarizing. There's got to be a better spot for him to be our leader and unifier because politics just doesn't unify anymore. But I can't imagine anyone that would have the interests of the St. Louis people and their heart more than Aeneas William. He, he's not going to get swayed by money or by power or by um, someone trying to do things to garner his favor. He's going to do what he thinks is the right thing all mm-hmm. the time. And that's what I think politics needs is people to not care about money and power or voting specifically down a certain line. They need to do what's in the best interest of the people that they serve. And that's what Aeneas would do. We talk about his relentless positivity. I would think that the 53 municipalities of the county and the 28 aldermen of the city would beat even Aeneas Williams down. You think so? That's so yeah, many it, little. That's so many people. Or maybe they would change their behavior because they would be ashamed to be doing something shady or greedy in front of someone like Aeneas. <laughs> Shame. You, you would hope so. I don't think that's happening. I think Aeneas would be great in politics. Think about the speeches he would give and how inspired oh, yeah. we would feel. But you know what? Though there are people, though you you can be the most positive person in the world. There are people that are just by their nature really negative. That's true. You know, also, and they won't change the the way they are. For every Eeyore, there's a Tigger. You know, and, yeah. and sometimes keep smiling. You just need you just need to infuse that group with some Tiggers, yep. and that will be Aeneas. <laughs> He's going to wake up at the right side of the bed every day. I love him. Don't let anything dim that light, Aeneas. Stay out of politics. Take it or leave it. Javante Perkins is back for the Billikens next year. I'm going to take that. Yeah, no official no official word on Saturday, but I, I would think so. Get your leading scorer back for his senior-senior season. I love a senior-senior season. Shout out to Trent Frazier. Love a senior-senior season. Those are great. Yeah, you get on that six-year plan. I think Javante may have graduated, but he should come back. Because uh, for no other reason than my pleasure. Whatever whatever his life is about, it doesn't really matter. It's all all for me. Yeah, me too. (laughs) And Slew getting in the best chance to go to the tournament next season. Exactly. (laughs) And take it or leave it, Loyola Cinderella's its way into the Final Four again this year. I'll take it. Sister, Sister Jean there, she looked spry. She yeah. looked ready to go. I'm going to take it. 102. She looks great. Yeah, she does. It's unbelievable. That's nice of you to say, Michelle. She looks great. She's smiling. She clearly brought the heat and brought yeah. the, the positive vibes for her Ramblers. I'm no match for Sister Jean. We know this. This has been proven last year. I'm no match for her. Congratulations, Sister. That's take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. Coming up, what's the bigger bummer with this baseball lockout? Is it missing out on the stretch run of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina's career? Is it missing out on the blossoming of Jack Flaherty and Dylan Carlson? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You. 
a free wellness program available in the app today. It's 8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We may or may not have more baseball talks today, but the lockout will continue through today at least and probably for a while longer. And we're going to miss opening day. We're going to miss Cardinal games. And Michelle, I was thinking about this yesterday. In addition to the lockout, we had COVID. We had a COVID shortened season. We've had the injury to Jack Flaherty. We had... Dylan Carlson's last minor league season truncated and he didn't come up under the circumstances that we or the Cardinals wanted him to come up. And we're all talking about, as we should be, the fact that Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright are missing out on the back end of their careers. Heck, 20 more starts for Adam Wainwright would have all been with Yadier Molina during the COVID year. He only made 10. If he makes 30 that year, they're within 15 of the all-time record. And as much as I'm bummed out by the fact that we're missing out on these great milestones by Wainwright and Molina, we've seen the best that they have to offer. And we're missing out on what Jack Flaherty especially, but also Dylan Carlson, have the opportunity to rise to. I I really don't think that we're going to see Jack Flaherty reach his best in a Cardinal uniform. Mm -hmm. And I'm really bummed out that we aren't getting the opportunity to see him blossom as a member of the Cardinals. I kind of think we're going to see him blossom, kind of like Steve Carlton did, somewhere else. My feelings may evolve once baseball gets back up and running, but right now I'm so mad at them that it's hard for me to compartmentalize my feelings when it comes to talking about this. And I think, Brandy, when I dig deep, the root of this is because of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina. Yes, Jack Flaherty is hopefully going to be in a place where we get to see him be healthy and have a full, well, it's not going to be a full season now, but as close to a full season for him as possible and a chance for him to exert that dominance and be that ace that we know he has the opportunity to be. Same thing with Dylan Carlson. We know that there's a lot of skills there and we would see him take hopefully yet another step into being what is projected to be one of the cornerstones of this franchise moving forward. But Adam Wainwright was the Cardinals' best pitcher last year. Mm -hmm. Yadier Molina is still very productive. Not only are we looking at two icons who we'll probably see making history or the last opportunity that we have to show admiration and appreciation for them, there's still two players that we get to see perform at a high level. And that's what I think is so rare about this is it's not just a goodbye tour. It's not just this is the last opportunity I'm going to have. You could go to the ballpark and see Adam Wainwright throw a CG shut piece. You could. You never know what you're going to see for him whenever he gets the ball. At least you know he's going to likely put his his team and the team you care about in a position to win, and that's worth the price of admission for me. But Randy, if I'm ranking things that I'm upset about when it comes to this lockout or opportunities that we're missing... I was thinking about this a lot last night. Yes, I'm bummed to watch the blossoming careers of Jack Flaherty and Dylan Carlson. I'll throw Tyler O'Neill and mm-hmm. Harrison Bader in that mix. How about a peak year of Paul Goldschmidt? How about, yeah. how about Nolan Arenado in his sophomore season in a Cardinals uniform? We don't talk about him a whole lot, no. but another season where he's ingrained that much more in this franchise and feeling a little bit more comfortable, what could we potentially see out of him? But when you look at Paul Goldschmidt's career, these are the these are the years you need to capitalize on mm-hmm. from that contract. And depending on how many games you miss, that's that much more of peak Paul Goldschmidt that is obviously a huge part of this team's hopeful success 
So I would even put that as number two for yeah, me. Yeah, the 34-year-old Paul Goldschmidt. The reason that I went with both Carlson and especially Flaherty is because I I do think, and heck, it was talked about by baseball scouts before the 2020 season, before COVID hit. After his stretch run in 2019, he was regarded as a potential Cy Young Award winner and a transcendent talent. And we've seen the talent, but the most we'll see in St. Louis of that talent for an entire great season is one year, 2024, <sighs> before he becomes a free agent. Because we missed out on 2020. We last year because of the injury we missed out on twenty one, missing out on twenty twenty two. So uh, he'll be a free agent after the twenty twenty three season. He, he's got four years and he's going to wind up after six years with the Cardinals. Regardless of how many games they play this year, the players are going to get full service time. So that that's my bummer is that we'll only get that one opportunity. One. Even if we get that, we have the chance for only one great year from Jack Flaherty. And you talk about missing out on the uh, the great years of, of Paul Goldschmidt, but we're not going to see as many great years of Dylan Carlson because of the lack of development. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of sucks when you could have had a year of development in 2020 with him, but he, he basically played that whole year and sometimes here, but basically that whole year down at a, a camp where he was going against other Cardinal farmhands. And then last year, it looked like he was on his way to uh, ascending. And now that's all stopped. That's all stopped dead in its tracks because he doesn't get the opportunity to be as ready for this season without a real spring training. Spring training will be probably four weeks. And he, he might hit a groove a month or a month or two months into the season. So what we could have seen from Dylan Carlson over the course of his six years before he reaches free agency and hopefully longer with the Cardinals, but it'll be limited. Add this to the long list of reasons why I can't understand why baseball would self-sabotage in this way. But after a pandemic, when you've already had the development of so many players disrupted and altered and perhaps you know, to their detriment. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that owners and front offices would be doing everything they could in November, December, leading up to this to avoid this? Because they're like, look at the Dylan Carlson's of the world. Look at the Matthew Libertors of the world. These are investments for us. These are valuable pieces. We can't have their development be altered in a negative way any more than it already has been because of the pandemic. And beyond here, you've got Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you've got Fernando Tatis Jr., you've got Julio Urias, you've got Walker Bueller, you've got so many young players that you should be promoting to make your sport bigger, and what you're doing is shutting them down, and the hole that you're going to have to dig out of for those young players is probably a hole that, during the course of their careers, they might get back to even because of what baseball is doing to itself. And that is so counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. This is an invest. These are this is something that you're putting a lot of money into. This is something that not only beyond money, it's part of a big plan you have in order to have success. And you're it's just blows my mind, Randy, the self-sabotage that's happening yep. here uh, from every different angle. I can't make sense of it. And there was a story over the weekend in Forbes that indicated that baseball owners have enough to be able to shut down the entire season. They they would not be that financially hit if they would shut it down for the entire season. Now, the future of the sport obviously would be devastated, but from their perspective, just in terms of 2022 dollars, they would not lose as much as we would might we might be led to believe they would lose.
I wonder, and, they're, and they're prepared. Their owners apparently are prepared to go the entire season without playing. That's ridiculous. That is so stupid. I don't have any other word for it other than stupidity. It is. It's ridiculous. But I don't think they get it. I, I really don't think that the owners understand the anger and unfortunately apathy of fans that there are going to be fans that not only are mad but are reaching the point of not caring and have so many other things to do it's it's to the point now randy where i'm wondering if they're so far gone as far as tunnel vision that they just want to crush the players so badly that there's some owners that are actually cheering for this to go on as long as possible because they want to see them squirm and they know that they're going to come out victorious and that their bottom line isn't going to be as greatly impacted as the players but I'm sure that there are some people in that room with the egos that are saying you wanted to push us you wanted to mess with us fine let's go let's dance and let's see how far we can take this I couldn't agree with you more there is no doubt in my mind that these people want to assert themselves hey we're the bosses we've got the money we'll show you I don't think there's any doubt that that is a prevailing thought among a lot of owners not just a few but a lot of owners that the it's the old 1% thing. We we should be in charge. Well, congratulations. Yeah. You're going to likely end up on top, yeah. but at what cost? They don't understand. What baseball owners don't understand, a lot of them make things that are needs. A lot of them made their money from things that are needs for people. Baseball is a want. We all learned this in economics in grade school. There are needs and there are wants. And they look at baseball, owners do, as a need when it's really a want. And people don't need it anymore. And you know what's hilarious about that is for so many people, it was a need until they turned it into yep. a want. Right. It's their fault that it's turned into a want. Yeah, it's it's sad. That's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy coming up. Today is a huge anniversary in St. Louis Blues history. Chris Kerber will join us to talk about that next. Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We're back to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Character and Smallman is brought to you by Sumner One. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Slyman Brothers, your local appliance expert. Online at SlimanBros.com. Curbs and the Blues, back from the greater New York City area. Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. Curbs, good morning. How was the trip? Randy was good. It was long, a lot of downtime, an unusual amount of downtime for uh, an NHL team. We spent six nights in the same hotel, and that's the first time that, that frankly, that's ever happened for me uh, at, at any level of hockey that I've been involved in. So uh, aside from that, it was it was good. Uh, the, you know, I mean, the, the team didn't get the results they needed, but they got through it and uh, healthy for the most part. So let's get home and see what can happen. Yeah, as you mentioned, Curb, some disappointing results the last three games. When you look at the Blues and just the lack of energy we saw from them at times over this trip, what do you attribute that to? Uh, you, you know what, the, the thing is, I think I have some thoughts on that, Michelle, but the problem is I feel like when I say it, it's like you're making excuses. And watching that game yesterday, I'm like, this is – and very rarely do I kind of go down the inexcusable route because that's just a weird line for me in sports. But I, I just – I can't answer really what – why they weren't didn't come out ready to go, why some of those mistakes were made. And thinking about it yesterday, I kind of came up 
kind of with this, and this isn't so much an excuse, but even if I go back to, you know, a couple of the good playoff runs and, you know, as they were building up to 2019 and even that next year, and you're relying on a Ryan O'Reilly and a David Perron and a Braden Shen and an Alex Petrangelo and Alexander Steen and Carl Gunnarsson. And, and, and I look at that, and I, I looked at the veteran nature of that. Well, this team this year, it, it's a little bit different, right? Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, maybe two of the most important pieces of your offense. And, and they're in their, what, uh, fourth, you know, third, fourth year combined between the two of them. Uh, you look at Nico Mikola, his second season in the National Hockey League, and I look at that game yesterday. Nico Mikola had a tough game. At one point, this wasn't even the goal, but Colton Pareko goes behind the net, reverses the puck, and for some reason, Mikola was going in front of the net all the way to the corner with Pareko, and, and it caused a turnover. Then you look at the game-winning goal, and Robert Thomas let his guy go. And, and it's a young guy making a mistake, and those are going to be some mistakes that you continue to make and they're just not getting the saves to save their bacon sometimes on it. So you know, just I, I, I just think it's kind of the nature of the transition of this team right now uh, with some young players needing to hopefully grow a little faster. Curbs, it seems like the story of the weekend for both games was getting to the front of the net. And obviously the Islanders and the Rangers before that, and yesterday to, more, to an extent not as much the Devils, they were able to get to the front of the net. And the, the Blues, they, they never really got to their game uh, in this trip, did they? they? They never really set the tempo and forechecked and got to the, the blue paint. No, they didn't. Uh, they, they, they didn't create uh, as much traffic in front of the net. And you could see when they finally did start to score goals where they were scoring them. Guys were going to the front of the net. Even the goal that was just after the buzzer. Look what Ivan Barbashev did. Mm-hmm. did driving the the side of the net. Uh, they, they didn't get there. You know what looked to me yesterday, Randy? Too was you just look at the way the team passes. And when, when you're instead of trying six foot, eight foot passes, you're trying fifteen, twenty, thirty foot passes from one end of the ice to the other. These last two teams were just clogging up the middle of the ice with sticks and deflecting putts. And I thought Brian O'Reilly's comments after the games were spot on when, when they talked about not being together. And when he means not being together, they're talking about moving up the ice and, and, and supporting each other. And, and they weren't. And then last night or yesterday afternoon's game, like so many individual puck battles along the wall and very little support coming in from teammates. A guy waiting in the corner for the puck to come to him, but not as many guys just getting to the battle and outnumbering the other team on the puck. And um, it Sometimes I think when you see this happens, it'll tend to snowball a little bit. And this is why it's really important for the Blues uh, to to grab a hold of this now and and try to not let this losing streak get to four games because you you get to that point and look at how quickly things have tightened up in this this division. Curbs, another comment that Ryan O'Reilly had after the game that is getting a lot of people talking is when he said that the team has to figure out what their identity is. Do you think you know what the identity of the St. Louis Blues is as we sit here on March 7th? Yeah, I think they're a team that likes to play a pace of hockey that I don't know that they can play. And that's I, that I, I really think 55 games in, that might be the identity. You know, the identity might be they want to play more of that uh, take the puck in, button it up like Robert Thomas does. Uh, you know, look at the stick handling control that you could see from Jordan Cairo. And sometimes what gets in the way, and Craig Berube mentioned this a couple of uh, uh, days ago, maybe about a week ago. He said, sometimes there's not a play to be made. Sometimes a smart play is to actually put the puck in the corner, go in, hold it there, wait wait for your teammates to get in on the line change, keep the pressure on, and then get back on the attack. And I, we haven't seen that consistently enough 
because I don't know, some young guys don't really play that way yet. And it's kind of it's kind of clashing a little bit with that veteran style that Ryan O'Reilly knows has been successful in the style that, that he's used to playing that has really led this Blues team. I, I think you put that in there with the fact that they're just not as good uh, defensively as they were a couple years ago when – I mean, it's a it's a totally different unit, really. When Colton Pareko's the only one, and Robert Bortuzzo were the only two left from that that Cup team in, in a brief three years, so uh, I don't think that defensively they're able to make up for the errors when you're trying to play the kind of game that at times is a little too risky. That leads to rushes coming down the other way, and they just haven't found a way to get through that. Now, look, I say that this is only the second time all season long they've lost three games in a row. And two of them were in regulation, right? So they at least they got that point yesterday. This is a team that's still in second place in what may be the toughest division, the second toughest division in the National Hockey League. So it's not doom and gloom. It's just they're still trying to figure some of those things out, and they've got about another 25, 28 games to go. I think it's going to be a lot better for this hockey team once they get past Ottawa here on Tuesday. You play the Rangers on Thursday. You've got Nashville on Saturday. I think it's going to be a lot better for this hockey team if they get into some tougher competition that forces you to play. When you're playing, and Randy, we talked about this about a week and a half ago, when you're playing what, a, game, a stretch of 13 games and 11 of them are teams that are in the bottom 10, you've seen some tough hockey, and I think it's starting to show in the Blues play as well. And I think sharpening the pencil against some better teams is, is going to be helpful. Uh, we do need a fighter, by the way. Text in 65780 if you'd like to participate in the fight to 65780 and the word fight. Curbs, you mentioned the tough game for Mikola, and he's had a few in the last couple of weeks. And the Blues, as every team should be, because it's the hardest position to learn in hockey, being a defenseman, the Blues have been very, very patient with him. And I'm not saying that he shouldn't play, but I do think that... With, with two weeks to go before the deadline, you can't have the, the week-long stretch that he's had when you're playing Minnesota in Game 3 of a Stanley Cup playoff series and you've got Hartman or Fiala or, uh, or Felino bearing down on the goalie. To me, you need a, a bigger, a more rugged, more substantial guy that can stand up those opposing players come playoff time because you just can't have those mistakes when, you make, when you're in the playoffs. Yeah, I think it's clearly a need. Uh, I think a left-shot defenseman is clearly a need, and if you can find someone good enough to play in your top four, that's a real bonus. The question is going to be that there are clearly some other teams looking at it, so what is the price that needs to be paid for it and and what type of player? How much of a price do you pay for a rental versus maybe somebody with another year or two of term on it? And it's a hard deal to make when you're up against the cap. You might have to give up another draft pick to a team. Uh, that has some extra cap space, a third team, even to to eat some salary and, and to make it possible. Yep. So, yeah, it, it is clearly a need, Randy, and you know that it. Look, we see it if it's clearly for us. You know, it is for management and the coaching staff as well. But to bring in Nico Miko along, just fine. He's got a great uh, mentor there with with Colton Pareko, and and it's it's going to take time. It, it looked. I mean, when I talk to Hal McKinnis and he talks about you know a defenseman. You know, where you need, you know, 300 games to, to really see what you may have. Mm-hmm. It takes a while to develop these guys, and, and, and it's going to be a process. But when you rely on it, look, you're relying on a young guy to play in, in, the, in a top four role in a shutdown situation like he's doing. And, and for the most part, I think he's doing really well. You're going to have those bumps in the road. That's, that's just part of the process. No doubt. And I like the guy. I've always been a fan, and I think he's going to be really, really good. Curbs, this is a big day, March 7th, in the history of the St. Louis Blues. 
Yeah, I mean, so uh, the day that the St. Louis Blues acquired Brett Hall, I mean, uh, that, that's got to be, at least in my opinion, I put it out on Twitter, my, I, I, I tried to do top five, and I realized I couldn't do it, so <laughs> it'll be March 7th, I put, I put top seven. But uh, I, I, there's no single greater trade in the history of this franchise than the acquisition of Brett Hall. Would you agree with that? I would agree. And not only better, but more impactful in terms of things yeah. that happened off the ice. Well, when you talk to the Blues alumni and you talk to other people around town, and when they talk about how it was really the popularity of Brett Hall that helped other areas build some hockey rinks and create the demand for more hockey rinks and what that led to. What we're seeing this, what we saw this weekend with all the great success of the Blue Note Cup and all those boys and girls playing youth hockey, you know, and, and the new building at Centene and, and the youth hockey games all around the different rinks. Uh, so much credit of that goes to the popularity of what Brett Hall did to the St. Louis Blues. And uh, I, you just put that impact there, plus the type of player he was on the ice and everything involved. I don't know that there's a single greater trade in the history of this franchise. And clearly, Enterprise Center is the house that Hully built, and he actually took the shot to uh, bring down <laughs> the old Keel Auditorium. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we could probably safely make the argument, we can definitely make the argument that Enterprise Center is the house that Hully built. But we can also, I think, fairly make an argument that if not for Brett Hall, this franchise would not be in St. Louis. Well, that's the other thing to him. I mean, he may have probably, you know... It, single-handedly helped save the franchise too so you know there, there were different ownership issues that happened over the years different opportunities different threats for this team to move and uh and, and i think there's a ton of people over the years that deserve amazing credit to, to save and get the franchise to where it is but that acquisition and, and there were great players that have come in before like i don't know like honestly i don't know and i'd have to go do some research on this but i'm not sure a team is at a more impactful draft than the blues had in 76 when they took but Erko, Sutter, and Liute, right. all in the same draft, right? But and, and so there were some great moments in there, but it was it was that move of, of Brett Hall and, and getting a, a superstar level, the personality to go with it, the, the Joe Namath, if you will, I think maybe of his time in, in some respects. Uh, I, I think that, uh, that that single-handedly just catapulted the Blues back to a level of relevance that without a doubt saved the franchise, got a new building built, and then just took the popularity of the sport in this town to a whole new level. Curbs, we always appreciate your time. Thank you very much for it. Have a great day, and we're back at it tomorrow with Brady Kachuk and the Senators in town. All right, guys, have an awesome week. Thanks. You too. Take care. That is Chris Kerber, Voice of the Blues on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we have the fight. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on character and small men. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. It's time for the first fight of the week here on Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Let's bring in Randy's challenger. Colt is with us. And Colt, I believe I heard that you said bring it on, Randy, when you texted in to be our fighter today. Oh, yeah, yeah. I went to the gym this morning. I got a little cardio in, you know, before I uh, turned mega mind into micro mind today. Whoa. Colt, I love this confidence. I love this enthusiasm. 
Hey, and before we get going, let Danny Mac know, because I, I know he likes to know what we do for a living. That's right. I, I do commercial heating and cooling and refrigeration, so you could just let him know that. You know what, Colt? I will let him know that because he's coming up next at 845, and right this is information that he's always looking for. So thank you for letting me know. Yes. And I would ask you, Colt, if you're ready to go, but I already know the answer. So here we go. Question number one. Who holds the Cardinals' single-season save record with 48 saves? Is it Jason Isringhausen, Trevor Rosenthal, or Lee Smith? I'm going to have to go with Rosenthal. Who did Keith Hernandez share the 1979 National League MVP award with in a tie vote? Was it Dave Winfield, Joe Necro, or Willie Stargell? I'll go with A. Dave Winfield? Uh, yeah, sure, if he was the first one. Yes, he was. Good. Okay. All right, Colt. On this day in 1973, Yankees pitchers Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich announced that they had swapped what? Was it numbers, positions, or wives? Uh, say the, the things again. I'll just do the whole question for you, Colt. On this day in 1973, Yankees pitchers Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich announced that they had swapped what? Did they swap numbers, positions, or wives? Uh, considering I was at my uh, father's house yesterday and they were watching some movie where they swapped wives, I'm going to go with wives. Okay. And number four, there are currently two active players in the NBA on their top 15 all-time scoring list. One is LeBron James. Who is the other? Is it Carmelo Anthony, Steph Curry, or Chris Paul? Uh, Steph Curry. Okay. Checking Colt's score here with Matt and waving in Randy. Colt, you were awful confident before you started this fight. Does that confidence remain? Uh, Sure. Why not? (laughs) It helps when you work out before the fight. You get in that mentality. You probably listen to some. Did you have a hype song? Uh, no, you know, I just go. I just uh, go with my own mind. You know, I don't listen to any uh, type of distraction in my head. No, I just focus. Oh, you're one of those. That you're a rare. <laughs> mad respect, Colt. Mad respect. Randy, say good morning to Colt. He worked out before the fight this morning. He says he wants to take you on. He's going to turn you from mega mind into micro mind. Oh, good. Colt, welcome to the show. So I assume that he did not do any lifelines. No, he did. He got all the options. Well, why would he do that? Because he's they, not. They didn't, get, they didn't give me the option. They just started uh, firing uh, answers at me. That's so true. I was like, okay. That's okay. House rules. House rules. It's my bad, Randy. I gave him okay. the options. Okay. That's cool. Um, Colt was ready for the fight. Are you ready to just jump right in? I guess I'm ready. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Uh, Randy, who holds the Cardinals single season save record with 48? It would be Trevor Rosenthal. Who did Keith Hernandez share the 1979 National League MVP award with in a tie vote? Uh, Keith actually thinks that he won and it was fixed because <laughs> Willie Stargell didn't uh, didn't deserve it, but it was Willie Stargell whose team wound up going to the World Series and winning it. We are family. We are family on this. Speaking of family, on this day in 1973, Yankees pitchers Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich announced that they had swapped what? Wives. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's what you're into. And there are currently two active players in the NBA who are in the top 15 all-time scoring list. LeBron James and who? Top 15 all-time. Who else? This is... uh, It's got to be mellow. And I am shocked that there's only two. Colt said Megamind was going to turn into Micromind. Randy didn't even ask for a lifeline today. 
I didn't think we were doing lifelines today. Was that a risky move by Randy? Did Colt punk him out on a Monday? Matt, let him know. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carriker. Go crazy, baby. Go crazy. Colt, I like the approach. I appreciate and respect it. But you poked the bear, buddy. You got to have confidence. You do. You do. But you poked the bear. He got all four correct. No lifeline. My man, Randy, got the jack. You got two right, though, so good job. There you go. Randy. Thank you, Randy. I'm kind of a big deal. (laughs) Colt, thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. (laughs) Oh, it's too. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. But Colt, call back. Don't stop believing. Win, 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 win. I'm winning. I'm winning. Get your popcorn ready. We I good? wish I knew how to quit you. How does I wish I knew how to quit you apply? I don't know. <laughs> I just pressed a button. It was there. It was great. <laughs> So Trevor Rosenthal holds the Cardinals single season save record with 48. Willie Stargell and Keith Hernandez shared the 1979 National League MVP award with a tie vote. Yankees pitchers Fritz Peterson and Mike Kekich announced on this day in 1973 that they had swapped wives. What was that a press conference? How, I think when, wound up have, they wound up having a press conference. It was spring training. Oh, okay. <laughs> so back in the day, yeah. They just thought everybody would like to know that information? Yeah, those were different times in baseball. America maybe not. Too. Maybe they just announced it. Then. America too, 73? Yeah. Hey guys, uh, I know you probably want to talk about my ERA, but I actually want to let you know that Fritzy and I have swapped wives. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? <laughs> no further questions at this time. <laughs> and we're good. There are currently two active players in the NBA in the top 15 scoring list, LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony. Two of the banana boat guys. How many did I get right? All for no (laughs) lifeline. You like that? You like that? Good job, Randy. I appreciate it. Good that. work. And you know, Colt, he was working out. Randy, he works out with no music. Yeah. Those people scare so, me. Yeah, they are scary. Just they like to be alone with their thoughts and their own self-motivation. Like, what? When he said that, I was like, this guy's getting at least three. When I was I, shocked he only got two. So. When I see people running, when I run half marathons without headphones on, oh. I steer clear. Yeah, they're, they're a mess. <laughs> I mean, they just have something inside them I don't have. That's right. And the great thing about Randy is he's smart. He's open-minded. Mo, he knows. Thanks, Mo. Uh, there you have it. That's the fight on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, Danny Mac joins Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We always like having Dan McLaughlin on the show. Danny. Good morning. Hey, the the fighter said that he was his name was Colt. He said that he was going to turn Mega Mind into Micro Mind, and then I beat him four two. <laughs> really? What did you run afterwards? Too everything. I I, everything. I, I cleared out the machine, man. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was. I bet you just loaded that baby up. And you made sure he paid. <laughs> yeah. Dan, he was playing things that didn't even apply. He was just hitting yeah, buttons. I'm sure. <laughs> If you're going to do it, he will go down hard. He must go down and must go down hard. i got to get that one in there. 
Oh, yeah. Find it, buddy. I'll, I'll find it for you and send it to you. Cause, I mean, I, I think the thing is, having done the show with you guys, and by the way, I'm having a battle right now with a uh, stapler. But anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, so this is a good little break. Good but, luck. Um, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but I'm thinking that, you know, having done the show with you, Randy, is that you can come in and try to be confident as the challenger. You can say, hey, Randy, how you doing? Well, good morning, sir. How are you? That's how you always, you know, and you're very nice and you're, you know, you, but you're, you're a killer and that's okay. You're a killer inside a blues Jersey on a blues game day. But the thing is, is that you, that's where you got to stop. If you're the challenger, you just, you know, well, Randy, I'm, I'm, I, I hope to take you down. I hope to take you down. You go in with a little humility, but if you come in guns a blazing, I got nothing for him. He's he or she has got to go down and got to go down hard. That's all there is to it. So I'm with you on this one. Normally, I don't like it. But this one, I will not flip you the bird. Thank you, my people man. People don't see when I do that usually. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. I just had to get that off my chest, too. How are we doing, guys? Doing good. It's uh, it, To me, I hate the fact that we aren't playing baseball. I hate the fact that we aren't in Florida. But at least, and I don't know how this is going to work out, how it's going to happen, but you can't come to an agreement if you never talk. And at least there's some talking, it seems like, pretty much every day. Yeah, when I when I see that they don't talk, that bothers me. That really does bother me. Now, they went 40-plus days without talking, and now here we are. That's problematic. I understand it's a leverage game. They played the leverage game, and now everybody's getting burned. But now, when you're starting to lose the, the spring training games and regular season games, and you're on the clock, uh, you have to meet every day. I, I just, even if it's... And some people, I'm sure, that are great negotiators out there and labor lawyers are saying, well, sometimes you got to step away from the table. And you're probably right. But for me, as a person that loves the sport, is a fan of the sport, wants to see the sport back on the field, even if it's eyewash to your fans, it's something you can grasp onto and just say, well, at least they're talking. You know, they're getting some of these issues out of the way and, and maybe there's a breakthrough. You never know what could happen. And and that's where I'm at, guys. You know, I mean, I, I was on with the fast lane, I guess, Friday, and, and they were asking me about it. And I said, you know, the first afternoon, that first day, that first night, very, very mad, uh, frustrated, upset, pissed off, uh, all those things. But then the next day, I, I was just like, there's nothing I can do about it. I, I don't have a seat at the table. I don't have a voice. There's nothing I could do about it. And it's counterproductive if I sit there and just wallow in misery. So... Try to move on, do be productive, and do good things. And uh, and at some point, we will have baseball, and I can't wait to see it. Well, let's say positive, Dan, because we do have minor league camp starting, which is good, right? We're going to get to talk about minor league players. And I want to uh, drill in a little bit on Matthew Libertor because the pandemic kind of changed things for him a little bit. I know that they're trying to speed up his progress. The Cardinals aren't. He's going to be a AAA. But with the the season losing games here, has your expectations of where you are, excuse me, when you'll see Matthew Libertor shifted at all because of the timeline being truncated? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, to see how guys come in. First of all, you're injured players. So generally speaking, the injured players, where are you? Because they have not been able to talk to these guys. They haven't been able to rehab them and get boots on the ground, so to speak, to see these guys and where they're at. So that's one thing. And then for a lot of these minor leaguers, it's really interesting. And Matthew Libertor is a great case study. So he goes to 2020 summer camp in in Springfield, and it's at least pitching, and it's some competition, but it's not game competition. I don't care what you – you cannot convince me taking all these ground balls and 
facing, you know, some guy in, in the, the, the parks of Florida, which is going to happen. Some of these guys are going to get together and have, you know, the live BP and all that different stuff. It's just not the same. So he makes this jump from, and we forget how young he is, but he makes the jump from A ball to AAA last year. And last year was a tale of two seasons for him. That first half was, eh. And then the second half was like, oh, okay, this is the guy. This is what we're supposed to be seeing. And he started to make these big strides. So to answer your question, Michelle, I think it's still up in the air. I I, I don't know if we have a full grasp of where guys are at. And all these guys are going to say, hey, we're doing all the work on the side and we're trying to get it ready. It's just not the same. Now, if we have a normal spring training, which I do think is on the table for everybody, they, they want that three and a half to four weeks. And that's a little bit of a different story um, where guys can build up and maybe you're allowed to keep Libertor and Gorman and some of these other guys in the minor leagues and let them continue to develop. But I think as we go along, if you needed that left-handed arm coming uh, out of the, the bullpen, and by the way, they don't have guys right now that they're especially high on. Now, there was Thompson from a couple of years ago that had a really good Arizona Fall League, so maybe he's turned the corner. Last year was a tough year for him. But Arizona Fall League was really good. He's got to throw more strikes. Um, And if you need some help in your rotation, I'm sure he'd be one of the first guys you call. But um, it is something to keep in mind. Where are guys once they report? And I think that'll be one of the big, big questions going into this season. Hey, Dan, for people that aren't aware of it, there, there was already a rule on the books regarding the time between pitches for when the bases are empty. It was supposed to be 12 seconds. Now I get it. Umpires are busy. They've got a lot going on. Adding another clock or a stopwatch to the home plate umpire's arsenal really isn't fair to the home plate umpire. With that being the case, Jesse Rogers of ESPN reporting yesterday that MLB wants pitch clocks of 14 seconds with the bases empty, 19 seconds with runners on base. I love this. I, I love the fact, and for a lot of reasons, that baseball is going to cut down on the number of seconds between pitches. And the biggest reason isn't because of pace of play. The biggest reason for me, and you and I have talked about this both on and off the air, is that pitchers that are throwing 98, 99, 100 exactly. miles an hour, they take 40 seconds to recharge their arms. Now, if you have to throw 93, 94, the pitcher with command that throws 93, 94, Greg Maddox is now a part of the sport again. 100%. And I don't, I don't think people realize that, that especially with these late-inning relievers that are throwing upper 90s to 100, Jordan Hicks is a great example. Jordan Hicks is extremely slow. Mm-hmm. Giovanni Gallegos at times, and we don't think of him as being like this, you know, Jordan Hicks type velocity, but he's throwing 97 miles an hour. He is extremely slow. And now these guys have to speed up. The heart rate gets going. Uh, you're out of breath a little bit, and it's got to be done. Now, I don't think this is that big of a transition for the game that a lot of people look at it. I know the players would balk at it because of what we're talking about, and some guys make their living off of doing what Jordan Hicks and Gallegos and others do. But, you know, this has been done in the Arizona Fall League, and it's been done in the minor leagues. And it's not even a pitch clock to where the the clock is being kept so much by the umpire. There's just like a little clock that's there even on the sidewalls of the stadium. So it lets everybody know, Hey, you got to deliver this pitch and let's go. And I think that's a good thing for the sport. You got to speed it up. I've never had a problem with three and a half, four hour games. It's my job is to try to keep you involved in the game. So that doesn't bother me. 
let's just get some action in the game, in the three and a half, four hours. And uh, it looks like we're going to start to get that once uh, we start playing. Dan, I know there's a lot of talk about expanded postseason. The money is going to be there, which I guess is good for the owners, good for the players. But do you think having an expanded postseason is good for the actual product? I like it. Now, I think I'm definitely in the minority with this. I can understand why players would balk at this because they'd say, well, you're going to award mediocrity, meaning that you're not going to go out and spend on the top free agents. So our collective pie of the money is going to go down because you're not going to go out and spend for a player that may put you over the hump to win your division. Um, I understand that part of it, but I go back to 2020 and here we have, you know, Arch Madness and March Madness coming up. I looked at those first rounds of the playoffs as being, if you're a baseball junkie, which I love baseball, it was great. You could wake up, there was a game on at like 11 or noon, and it took you all the way till 11 or midnight at night, all the way through. And there was meaningful baseball games after six months where everything was on the line. I, I think people would come to like it. I, I know, again, I'm in the minority with this. But I also think we as an industry in the sport of baseball, we have to adapt. Football has changed rules. Basketball has done that. And we are just so against doing that in baseball. And I'm not sure why we should be like that anymore. If if this is going to add to the entertainment of the product, I'm all for it. And again, I understand where people would say you're going to award. And there were, if, if you go back in the last 10 years, I think there were six teams that would have made it that were sub 500. I understand that. That's probably not great. But I still like the drama of postseason play, and I think that would be a lot of fun. And Dan, to add to that, last year, 2021, the sixth place team, the last playoff team in the National League was the Reds at 83 and 79. The 2006 champion Cardinals were 83 and 79. So right. uh, an 83 and 79 team can still make the playoffs and win the World Series, but you, you got to go on a little bit of a roll, just like the 06 team did. That's right. You got to have a little luck, or maybe like the 06 team is that you got to finally get healthy. Yep. You know, they, they, they went into San Diego in that first game, and you looked at the lineup, and David Eckstein was back in there. Jimmy Edmonds was back in there. Pujols had mitch, uh, missed a bunch of time. Roland was dealing with a shoulder issue. Ronnie Belliard was added at second base, and he makes maybe the play of the of the postseason for the Cardinals, and, and they win. Uh, and Mike Piazza dropping the pop up that Pujols hit in Game mm-hmm. One that helped do that because then he hits a bomb. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, a lot of things need to happen, and that that even happens with the current system. You know, you don't want to face a wild card team because a wild tar- uh, card team more times than not has gotten really hot just to get in the playoffs, and they're playing with house money. So. That happens, and I'm okay with it. I, I just think we need to adapt. I mean, I, I want to see the, the shift eliminated. I want to see pitch clocks. I want to see expanded playoffs. And bottom line, I want to see you know players back on the field and get back to the sport we love. Absolutely. Daniel, great to hear your voice. Thanks for the time. We appreciate it. Have a great week, and I'm sure that we will communicate soon. Oh, yeah, I know we will. Did you play some golf this weekend? I did not. I it, I turned into the couch potato. I went to the Billiken game after the Blues game on Saturday, went to the Billiken game, watched NBA, watched LeBron on Saturday night, and then yesterday I was thinking I was going to do something, but uh, the Blues played early and then great NBA action again throughout the course of the day and a little college basketball last night. So I, I, I didn't even get off the couch. I was a total couch potato. It was terrible. You truly are a sports geek. <laughs> yeah, too much. That's all right.
Thanks, Joan Jim. loves you, though. That's the beauty of it. I she loves so. having you home. <laughs> yeah, right. <It's> wonderful. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have a great day, and we'll catch up next Monday. All right, brother. See you later. Love you. Take care. Love you too, buddy. And I'm sure I'll talk to you, Randy, in about an hour. Yes, sir. We'll see you later. That's my friend, our friend, Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Coming up, what's the bigger bummer? Bueno and Molina missing out on their stretch run or missing out on the, the blossoming of Jack Flaherty and Dylan Carlson? Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Nine oh eight in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, we already have a couple of texts in on the Wayno Molina versus Carlson Flaherty situation in regards to this lockout. Is it a bigger bummer to miss out on the end of? Molina and Wainwright, or the beginning of Flaherty and Carlson. And, and we've seen the beginning of their careers, but we're missing out on the blossoming of their careers. And from the 636, we get this. If it weren't for the Wayno molina farewell tour, missing MLB wouldn't be a problem for me. It's pitiful enough that the owners and players are locking horns and delaying the game many love, but it's even more pitiful that the fans are deprived of the Wayno molina farewell tour. Yeah, I agree with that text as much as I'm bummed out that we're not going to get to see a full season of hopefully a healthy Jack Flaherty and a full season of hopefully a Dylan Carlson that continues to make strides towards the player that we anticipate he'll be. That's not why I'm going to buy a ticket this year. I'm buying a Mm -hmm. ticket because I want to see Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina together and I want to see them hopefully have a start that goes towards that all-time battery record in their final season together. And we just aren't going to see the likes of Wainwright and Molina again, where they play their entire major league career wearing one uniform. It just doesn't happen that often. It does happen. I'm not going to say we won't again, but to have two guys that are together and that are kind of joined at the hip I guess joined as a battery. Yeah. We just aren't going to see that anymore. With Flaherty a lot of us, and I would count myself among that group, believe that Jack Flaherty is going to leave in free agency at the end of six years. And this from the 636, I don't care about Flaherty. One was because he already took told us he doesn't care about us. He's waiting for free agency to see how much he can make. Well, Yachty and Wayno like St. Louis. I don't think Jack Flaherty doesn't like St. Louis, but I think that he's just been very honest about the fact that he wants to gamble on himself and that he believes that he is worth a certain dollar amount and he wants to test free agency and see if he can command what he believes he's worth. And I appreciate the transparency from him. Me too. You know, don't, don't tell us something. Don't tell us one thing when we know the truth to be another thing. Don't say, why would I leave for another $3 million a year? Bingo. Thank you. But I don't think Jack Flaherty doesn't like St. Louis. I mean, we've seen him do a lot of things in our community to make it a better place. And he has talked extensively about the reverence that he has for the organization and the mentors that he's had within the Cardinals organization and talked fondly of St. Louis. So I don't I don't think just because he wants to gamble on himself and test the waters, it doesn't mean that he has a negative, any sort of negative feelings about our city. So, but, but it does go back to the point, though. Wayne Onyadi are our guys. No matter whatever happens, those are going to be our guys. And you just don't know if Jack Flaherty is going to ever be in that conversation the way those two guys are. And I think that that's the big thing is that 
Well, I would love to see the blossoming of those two careers, and especially I'd like to see some greatness from Jack Flaherty here in St. Louis, aside from just the second half of 2019. We don't know what they're going to be. We assume that they're going to be great, but I do believe that most Cardinal fans want to honor Molina and Wainwright. All of it's a bummer that we don't get to see this, but at the end of the day, there aren't many fan bases that are as affected by an inability to honor two franchise icons as Cardinal fans. What was the highest ticket sales of any game last year? Albert Pujols coming coming to town? Labor Day, yeah. Yeah, so if a guy who left St. Louis is going to get the the most amount of people to buy tickets in St. Louis, imagine what Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina will do. And that's why I think that St. Louis is an interesting barometer because had these two not been coming back for their final seasons, I think it would have been very telling to see how fans in St. Louis reacted to this lockout because I think there are people out there that had these two guys not been coming back wouldn't buy tickets all season, but their love and appreciation and affection for those two will trump their disdain for baseball right now. And every day that passes, the anger is going to turn into apathy. And that's where I think baseball, even in St. Louis, is really rolling the dice and ownership is rolling the dice by being so hard-headed about this. Players, they want to come back, but the owners are a group of 32 that have complete control. The owners, even though 60% are players, even though 60% of the players are making the minimum, very few of those are if any of those are in the room helping to make the decisions about their future. They're kind of just following along and letting somebody else control their future. All 32 owners were on a conference call last week. So the the owners definitely have the upper hand here in terms of being able to guide the ship, as it were. I think we're on day 96 of the lockout. Mm-hmm. We're almost at 100 days of this. 100 days that they've had to come together, make an agreement, and get baseball up and running. And we're supposed to be three weeks into spring training now and a week into games. But think about that. You guys had 100 days, yeah. and you couldn't you couldn't figure this out in 100 days? That tells me that you're not trying hard enough. From the 309, at this point, I'll return to baseball with the same urgency that they've had for these negotiations. Oh, <laughs> which is fair. Yeah. And... That's what stinks about this is because the only way the fans are ever going to make their voice heard is they vote through their wallet. They yep. vote. That's how they vote. And there are people that would like to cast a vote against baseball with their wallet, but they don't want to do that to Wainwright, Molina, and more importantly, to themselves. Now, there may have been some progress yesterday. And next up, we want to hear from you via the text line 65780 or with your mic drops. How much do you like the idea of a pitch clock in MLB? And do you think their ideas will make the game better? They're talking about larger bases. They're talking about banning the shift. Your Rhino Shield mic drops and your texts next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, we want to hear from you. Yesterday's proposal from the Players Association of Major League Baseball would grant MLB the ability to implement three specific on-field changes with 45 days notice. A pitch clock, larger bases, and shift restriction. MLB also wants robo-umps with 45 days notice. The players did not offer that. And that's the genesis of this conversation is... 
are you on board with the idea of the rules changes? I am. Michelle, we did get one text that said, the pitch clock won't mean diddly if you don't stop the batter from stepping out after every pitch to adjust his batting gloves and grab their crotch. And this hasn't been explained, but the umpire has the ability, if the pitcher doesn't pitch within the the 14 seconds to call a ball on the pitcher, but if the hitter isn't ready within the 14 seconds for the pitcher to throw, then the hitter can be charged with a strike as well. I think that these rules changes that are proposed would make baseball a quicker game, and I think it would make it more interesting and more entertaining. But I think that's for people who already like baseball. I don't know if any of these things are going to capture the audience that they're looking to capture, which is the younger fan that might not really be interested in the game. I don't know if any of these or all of these at once are really going to make that big of a seismic shift in making the the product entertaining. I think it will. I think it'll bring the athlete back into the game. It kind of takes the three true outcomes out if indeed pitchers can't go max effort by waiting 35 40 seconds between pitches if all of a sudden pitchers now they have to throw every 14 seconds rather than every 40 seconds I don't think the velocity will be there I think it really benefits a guy like Matt Carpenter who was he told me multiple times over last season when I would ask about it on the zoom uh, and asked about getting pitched up and in mm-hmm. 90, 98 miles an hour uh, right at the letters. You can't serve that ball into left field the other way. Now, all of a sudden, if that pitcher can't go max effort and he has to throw 93, 94 rather than 99, 100. And first of all, you don't want to throw up in the zone when you're throwing 93, 94. That ball's leaving the ballpark. So now you have to have a little bit of command and you have to try to get somebody out low and away. That's the pitch that Carpenter made his money on. That's why he got the contracts that he did. And I do think it brings the contact hitter back into the game. It brings the athlete back into the game. It's not just the big guy that's either going to strike out, walk, or hit a home run. It coupled that with banning the shift and where would Matt Carpenter be right now, right? <laughs> He'd have a contract. <laughs> that's right. But I think that all of those things that you said are true, but then we talked last week about, I believe you said Carlos Correa, who doesn't want to dive for balls because he doesn't want to risk potentially mm-hmm. getting an error because it will impact his war. I think some of this stuff could impact baseball, but as long as we have this heavy analytical mindset and you're seeing the game be played out certain ways because people are so concerned about certain stats or they're drilling in on certain stats, I just don't know if it's really ever going to be the game that it used to be or the game that we, we need it to be to make it that much more entertaining. No, but I think they can make it better. I do believe that these particular rules changes make it better. And by the way, the robo-ump, if they start calling the real strike zone from mm-hmm. the the middle of your chest to the hollow of your knees, and the strike zone isn't from your waist to your knees, all of a sudden, people have to swing more. People can't go up to the plate with the eye. Mike Trout can't go up to the plate with the idea of, I'm going to take a walk. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, with the big strike zone, it's easier to throw strikes if you have the robo-umps. Then all of a sudden, hitters, if they can't walk, they got to do... Either strike out, looking, or swing the bat. Are you pro-robo-ump? Totally pro-robo-ump. So am I. Why not get it right? Yeah. And yep. it's and it's a very designated zone, and you can clearly see if it's in or out, or the, the robo-ump can. I know a lot of people argue about the human element of the game, but to me, if you can firm it up, and you know every game is going to be the exact same, and you know you're going to get it right, and every player knows we're working in these specific confines, I think that's going to be good for the game. I do not like the idea... By the way, this happens in every sport. There are NFL officials that determine on their own what holding or what pass interference is. I don't think an umpire 
should have his strike zone. I know, I know it's an accepted thing in baseball, has been for years. I think it should be the strike zone, not his strike zone. I agree. I think we're looking for a little bit more continuity in baseball altogether, that we should have one specific strike zone that's enforced. And the National League and American League, whether you like the DH or not, I think it's ridiculous that we had two leagues playing with different sets of rules and different sets of lineup construction. I think if you do have that continuity, it will be better. All right. We've got text 65780. What do we have? From the 636. I think it's ridiculous it has come to banning the shift, but I do think for the sake of the product, it's the right thing to do. Other sports have positional alignment restrictions as well. That's where I really changed and evolved with regards to the shift, because I used to be against banning the shift. But if they're going to ban the zone defense in in basketball, if they're going to take away holding within uh, or chucking within outside of a five-yard zone in football, then What's the difference? You, you are you have to coach differently. I remember when they banned they they enforced defensive holding in the NFL after wasn't really after Super Bowl thirty six. It was after the Colts got robbed in the two thousand four AFC Championship game, and they complained. And in the league meeting, Bill Belichick asked, "Well, how am I going to coach my guys now?" And somebody said, "By the rules." <laughs> And that's the way you have to do it. Matthew, what, that, what, that yeah. was my breakthrough when I finally thought about taking away the ability of cornerbacks to jam as, mm-hmm. in, as, in as wide of a range, taking it from five yards down to one yard. That is exactly the comparison because, yes, you are taking a, a, a part of strategy away, a style of defense away, and you're making it easier for offenses to attack defenses. But what has happened in the NFL over the past 15 years since they really started you know, pushing the offense. People complain about, you know, it's pansy football, but guess what? The ratings just keep going up. Right. And the NHL took out the left wing lock and they took out yep. the, the neutral zone trap. It took out the red line, didn't really take out the neutral zone trap, but they changed the rules to promote offense. From the 651, I'm fine with the pitch clock, but I have no confidence that the Elms will actually enforce it. So my fear is that it'll be a rule on paper, but won't actualize into the play on the field. Well, every fan is going to see it. Mm-hmm. That's the issue, is that there will be one behind home plate and one in the outfield where fans are literally counting down when the clock gets to five, four, three, two, one. And if they... Everybody in the ballpark is going to know, and everybody on TV is going to know. There's going to be you're going to see it just like an NFL game clock and and play clock on uh, at the NFL. So if everybody knows, how do the umpires not enforce it? I wonder if that's something that fans would get into too, watching the clock tick I down would. and counting and ta- taunting a little bit, or just having a little bit more enthusiasm for what's going on actually during the game. Right. College basketball student sections are the best because they'll provide a different clock for the opposition than what than what really exists to make them shoot faster. True, true. From the 314, probably the dumbest thing they could do is ban the shift. These guys are professional athletes who play baseball. Banning the shift is taking away strategy in the game. That's like taking out or pulling the goalie when you're down in hockey. Well, not really. It's more like removing, like we said, the left wing lock. It's more about taking out something that suppresses scoring. So to me, the the comps are in the NFL, like Matthew said, taking out the ability to chuck five yards down the field and and make it one yard. Or maybe the most salient one is coaches came up with zone defenses in the NBA. And what happened was... People quit scoring. So they said, what the NBA said is, no, you have to go man to man. They changed the rules so that they promoted scoring. We do have mic drops, by the way. Let's get to Eugene, who's with us on 101 ESPN. 
I think what would make baseball better if they expand the playoffs is the higher seed automatically starts off one game to zero. That way everybody will try to get the better seed. And I think that would work out really good. That's what the players have requested. Mm-hmm. The owners have rejected the, the ghost win. But I don't think that's a bad idea. I think it could be really fun if you're trying to make teams have more of a sense of urgency or you're trying to promote teams to be more competitive and make a lot of those games down the stretch matter more. You certainly don't want to be in a, in a 1-0 deficit right. when you head into the playoffs. And the way it's set up now, it'll be a best of three with all three games being played at the site of the team with the best record. That's what I think. And they get to pick their opponent. Which could be fun. But I th- I think that that's what's kind of cool about what's happening now. And the when you think about it, these are games. You can make up any rules that you want. And 10 years from now, if they stick no, and they're awesome, we will forget about these conversations. You should be thinking far outside the box. Get really creative about things that you think could make this more entertaining or more fun for your customers. Because if you're baseball, that's what you need. Again, we keep saying Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa are walking through yeah. that door. And everyone is mad at you. Why not implement some new rules or a little inject some more fun into the game to get people to be a little curious about what's happening? And they'll come back. And some of the stuff is really stupid, like moving the rubber back a foot so that it's 61 feet 6 inches rather than 60 feet 6 inches. That doesn't fly because that does change dramatically the history of the game and the records of the game. I don't think that these things dramatically for the worse change the the way the game has been played because most people until the last six, seven years didn't shift until we got much more video and analytics. People didn't shift. So actually the sport would be more like what you saw in the 80s. Can I read you a text? Yeah. The 618 says it sounds like lifelong fan Randy has sold his soul to be in favor of all these gimmicks. And isn't that what's kind of wrong with baseball right now? Is that just because it was one way forever, you don't want to evolve or try something new? We've evolved as people. What we find entertaining has evolved. The way we consume sports has evolved. If baseball doesn't evolve just because they want to stay in the past and what's worked for them in the past, that's why they're in the position that they're in right now. And here's the thing. They aren't gimmicks. Their enforcement of the rules. Rule 8.04 in the rule book. The pitcher must... Throw the ball within 12 seconds of receiving it. It's always been there. Now we're just going to have a a clock on the wall to define that. We're Mm -hmm. actually giving the pitchers more time than was in the rule book before. The shift, like I said, it hasn't really been a factor in baseball until the last four or five, six, seven years. So I I don't think that that's a, a real gimmick. This brings people like Ozzie Smith back into the game. It allows athleticism and spectacular defenders to be a part of the game. Bigger bases, there, there's nothing. Because it's a bigger game now with bigger people, I don't think bigger bases is a bad thing. And getting good umpiring, how can, how can getting good officiating be bad? I don't see a negative. No. I also don't think that you're going to be watching the game and be like, man, I hate those bases. They're too big. No, no. <laughs> if, it, if it injects a little bit more athleticism and more excitement back into the game, just like we've said, you'll forget all about it. And I believe fewer injuries and more opportunity, obviously, to be safe. Let's get Janet on the air on 101 ESPN. Pitch clocks are good, but it also would be good to make the batter stay in the box. This stem it out to adjust everything every five minutes or every two seconds is just stupid. Make them stay in the box. That's what they used to do. 
They did. And actually, they were supposed to enforce that rule four years ago. Maybe it was five years ago. Big Poppy always did it. He said he needed time to think. Mm-hmm. But the batter was never supposed to take both feet out of the box. And he does all the time now. And yes, Janet, you're 100% right. And that's something that will have to happen with a pitch clock if they don't, if they aren't ready to go within the 14 seconds or 13 seconds, whatever we said it was, uh, that they will be charged with a strike. The umpire can call an automatic strike. More and more, I'm convinced we need to just send Janet in there. Yeah, she knows what she's talking about. Just go in there, Janet, guns blaze, and say, this is stupid. Okay, this is stupid. Mm -hmm. Here's what I think should happen. Let's go. I think they listen to her. I would hope they would. That is Michelle. I'm Randy. And coming up next on 101 ESPN, you're killing me, Smalls. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. There we go. We're loyal to you, Illinois, or orange and blue, Illinois. Seventy-four, seventy-two. <laughs> we beat Iowa, Illinois. That's right. We needed the stars to align yesterday, Randy. Last place, Nebraska, had to upset Wisconsin, <laughs> and they did it. Now, number twenty ranked Illinois had to take care of business against number twenty-four Iowa. There we go. Oh, in this game. They battled back. They were able to beat Iowa 74-72. They have a share of the Big Ten Championship. They also clinched the number one seed in the Big Ten Tournament next week thanks to a head-to-head win over Wisconsin earlier in the season. First time for my Illini since 2005. 17 years we've waited for this, Randy. You were a student then. That's right. I was a freshman. Love that team. Miss that team. But Randy, remember last year, Illinois, a number one seed in the tournament, won the Big Ten Tournament. I got too high I told everyone, this is the year. This is the season. They're going to do it. Then Sister Jean and Loyola came, ruined my life. Just completely upset everything. So I said, this year, I'm not going to get too hyped. This year, I'm going to take it easy. I'm just going to be a fan along for the ride. I'm a big, fat liar. I was watching the game last night. I'm screaming and yelling. I'm so hyped. I was wearing orange and blue all day yesterday. I'm a liar. I can't help it. I love this team. I love Brad Underwood. What an unbelievable job he's done at the University of Illinois. I love Kofi Coburn and Andre Corbello, Trent Frazier. What an unbelievable season for him. But this is a team, Randy, that I I really believe, depending on, well, you could say that about any team in the tournament, but depending on the matchup, they really could make a lot of noise. Iowa, too, by the way. The Big Ten is positioned to do well in the tournament. Here's the thing, though. When you talk about the matchup, I don't know that anybody in the country has a matchup for Kofi. True, but again, Loyola found a way to smother them last season. Yeah. So, but just from an individual standpoint, yeah, for you, you can put together a defense. But I also believe, and granted, they lost Io this year, but I have to believe they feel like they learned a lesson last year too. Sometimes that happens. You you need to lose before you can win. 
That's true. But you would think in this heading into the season with Georgie gone, Io gone, a lot of their staff gone, they had some transfers. I didn't. I knew that they would be a good team. I didn't know how good they would be. And Coach Underwood has done an amazing job of keeping this team in the right place. Uh, frame of mind. They had a, a bunch of culture wins this season. He's just done a, a phenomenal job, and I'm so happy that he's at Illinois. Doesn't just have a team, he's got a program. That's right, and we've been waiting for that for a long time. Mm-hmm. 17 years we've been waiting <laughs> for that. You're killing me, Small. Well, Randy, you know that uh, Boston Celtics fans are a bit ornery, and if they don't like you, they're going to let you know. And you know who they don't like is Kyrie Irving. We know that he left Boston in free agency to sign with the Nets, and you remember he stomped on the logo last year, Mm -hmm. really upset a lot of people. Well, when the Nets went back to TD Garden to face the Celtics yesterday in an inevitable 126-120 loss, by the way, the Celtics handled business, the fans, they let Kyrie know just how they felt about him. They're going to take it out of my hands. I'm going to move it, and I'm going to trust the guys around them. Incredible. 25 assists, Doris, proves what you're talking about. 25 points on 40 field goals. 31 seconds to go, and the lead swelling to seven. That chant was about Kyrie. That chant was about Kyrie, Doris was saying. Yes, if you couldn't decipher that because you're driving, maybe your kids are talking in the background. They were chanting Kyrie sucks loudly mm-hmm. and over and over and over again. Jason Tatum tried to quiet the crowd a little bit so um, that they could get things back in order. Didn't really help. But Kyrie talked about it after the game. No, no, I think it's going to be like that. Well, I know it's going to be like that for the rest of my career coming in here. So, uh, you know, it's like the scoring girlfriend, you know, just... Wants an explanation on why I left, but still hoping for, you know, a text back. And I'm just like, yeah, it's fun while it lasted, you know. And I think uh, uh, that's the that's the relationship that makes it fun. But uh, you know, the reality is that I'm just grateful for my time here in Boston. Uh, you know, everybody in the front office, everybody in that locker room treated me well. Still have lasting relationships in in our league. You know that that extend um, as a brotherhood for us. And, uh, you know, we, we still remain close. So to see the growth of a lot of guys that I play with on this team and seeing this core group back together, Marcus Smart, Al Horford, JB, JT, and then they add Derek White, you know, a few other guys, Rob Williams maturing. You know, I was with these guys when they were pups. You know, when JT was just got drafted, JB was in his second year. So, um, you know, I, I just have uh, mutual respect for them. And, uh, you know, coming back in this in this environment, we know what it is. And uh, I just got to lock in on the mission, stay focused and, uh, you know, not try to have too many conversations with the fans on the side when they call me out of my name. I imagine a lot of fans called him out of his name. Um, but Kyrie, you're not doing yourself any favors by calling them the scorned girlfriend no. that just wants a text back. Well, he forced a trade to Boston, spent his year there saying that he wasn't going anywhere, and then left as a free agent. By the way, was not a great mentor or influence for Tatum or Brown. The best thing that ever happened to the Celtics was him leaving because he, he, he's regarded around the league by many as a cancer. And you don't want that sort of, of an attitude to permeate a young team. And by the way, when he goes back there the next time, they're going to be louder and they're going to be stronger. (laughs) And uh, I don't know. I think there's part of him that might like that. I would think so. I I, I would think that probably he's motivated by that. One thing we've seen, though, Kyrie left Cleveland 
because he wanted to be the man. Mm-hmm. He's incapable of being the man, as we saw in Boston. And then he got together with the Durant and Harden group. And when Durant and Harden were out, he couldn't carry anything. So he, while he's a very good player, one of the great players of our time, He's not a guy that can put a team on his back. It takes a lot more than skills to be the number one guy. Yeah. You have to be a leader. You have to be able to take over a game. You have to want to be the number one guy. And that has to extend through everything that you do. Your training in the offseason, the way you communicate with your players, the what you do for your organization as far as being the, the front-facing person mm-hmm. when things go wrong. There's so many components into being what LeBron is or what LeBron was in Cleveland for Kyrie. And I don't know if he fully thought that through. Here's a text from somebody who clearly wasn't watching this weekend when LeBron scored his 56 on Saturday or Tatum scored his 54 yesterday or the Suns and Bucks went at it in a rematch of the NBA Finals from last year watching Cleveland last night. Uh, This from the 314. The NBA's unwatchable. No No more NBA coverage, please. The NBA is awesome. So fun. And if you think it's unwatchable, you clearly aren't watching. Yeah. Or maybe you don't have a rooting interest, so you're not really watching because you just like to watch the athleticism. If you like St. Louis, just watch Tatum. That's right. It's pretty cool. The the athleticism is, and what we're seeing from LeBron James, I can take or leave LeBron right now, but the the performance is unbelievable at the age of 37. And I don't care if you're a basketball fan, you can't tell me you like basketball and don't like watching the Suns play. Right. You're killing me, Smalls. Another big basketball game this weekend, Randy. Coach K coaching his final home game of his career at Cameron Indoor Stadium. There was a lot of pomp. There was a lot of circumstance. There was a lot of fanfare. A lot of Coach K's former players in town to honor and celebrate him. None of it mattered because North Carolina upset Duke 94-81. to You saw a lot of crying Dukies in, in the stands. It was a really heartbreaking scene. But Coach K was apologizing for the performance after the game, was not happy when the crowd tried to cheer. This isn't part of the program. This is impromptu by me. I'm sorry about this afternoon. That, no, please, no, please, everyone be quiet. Let me just say, it's unacceptable. Today was unacceptable, but the season has been very acceptable. And, uh, And I'll tell you, the season isn't over, all right? So basically what he did on a day that was all about him is went up to the microphone and said, hey, can I make this even more all about me? Well, he was just saying we didn't do our job. Mm-hmm. We had all all of this this pomp and circumstance leading up to this. And then North Carolina, our bitter rival, came in and ruined it all. Because that's, at the end of the day, what makes Coach K great. It's not about looking back. It's about what happened mm-hmm. in the immediacy of the present. And that's unacceptable for him and for this Duke team. Well, which I kind of like because he's still himself all the way till the end. Yeah, he kind of, uh, kind of, in a, in a way, guaranteed a championship. By the way, because he said the season's not over. Yeah, I, I think at the end of his speech, he he said something about a championship too. So, I uh, I I like him. I I think he's a good guy, and he, I think he's great for college basketball. Even though a lot of people hate Duke, isn't it going to be weird without him? No Roy, no Coach K. It's a it's a weird feeling. Yeah, 
And he took a hit kind of on uh, the Tommy Amaker thing, calling Tommy. He, he called the shot on John Schreier becoming their next mm-hmm. coach and called Amaker and said, uh, basically, you aren't going to be our next head coach, even though he wasn't supposed to be the guy that made that decision. But I guess if you're Coach K, you could take things like that into your own hands. He did, but then when it came out, that's the day that he had to miss the second half of a game, and apparently his family member said he wasn't feeling well because he was so despondent over ticking off Tommy Amaker. Mm. That's the way it goes. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. And coming up next, what's on tap? I've got a few more texts here on the text line, 65780, that uh, we want to pass along to you on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Party coming up. Tim McKernan, Action Jackson, coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Michelle and Randy with you. And uh, first of all, if you didn't hear us early in the morning, Aeneas Williams joined us at 715. You can hear everything that we did today with our podcast. And it's brought to you by our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto and the podcast available on the 101 ESPN app or at 101ESPN.com. And Aeneas has an event tonight. It's on Zoom, and you can find it at thespiritchurch.org. Just Google the Spirit Church. And Nias is going to be interviewing Michael Vick and talking about the responsibility that Michael Vick has taken in his life after going to jail. I'm really interested to hear this conversation because I think that Michael Vick has a a very interesting story just to begin with. He's come a long way and there's been so much growth in his life and he's been in some really low and dark places and obviously come out on the other side. But I think his story, his story as interesting as it is, you can't help but be very vulnerable when you talk to someone like Aeneas Williams. He brings that out of you. And so I think we're going to get to hear diff- a different side of Michael Vick. I know he shared some of that stuff in interviews before, but I wouldn't be surprised if we get a little bit deeper with someone like Aeneas who can really talk to him about what it took to overcome some of the circumstances that he was in. Take it or leave it, Michael Vick cries. Oh, I'll take it for sure. Okay. Well, well he... I, I don't know because Aeneas is so positive, Mm -hmm. you know, but I would just think at the end, maybe he would be so inspired that he might cry. Yeah, that could be. You know, Aeneas just brings out the good in everyone. All you need to do is go to thespiritchurch.org and it starts at seven o'clock tonight. I think I will be uh, on that. I'll be watching on that Zoom. Michelle, I wanted to go back to one text we got earlier. Okay. And... It was no, it said this from the 314. No one was a bigger offender of stepping out of the box than Skip Schumacher. He stepped out after every pitch to adjust mm-hmm. his batting gloves, whether he swung at the pitch or not. It was ridiculous. And that's true. Yeah. But there's a great piece that down the stretch of the baseball season, Jason Stark did it at the athletic. And all you, if you just Google Jason Stark pitch clock, if you have an athletic subscription, you can check it out. But he, he showed a clip of a minor league game with a pitch clock and then a major league game with George Springer at the plate where he swings at a pitch and literally walks around the batter's box, around the catcher and the umpire before he gets back in. Batters are as much the offenders here as pitchers are in terms of slowing the game down. And I just want to make that point that Skip was an offender, George Springer. There are a lot of offenders among hitters too, but the pitch clock is going to apply to the hitters too. It's all about enforcing it. Right. And if you have a clock, then we as the fans can enforce it. People will be counting down. People will be chanting. Yeah. 
So, the, or at least I hope they will. Yeah, and, and the rule was, by the way, the way the rule was written, and I assume it still is. Uh, rule eight point oh four: When the bases are unoccupied, the pitcher shall deliver the ball to the batter within twelve seconds after he receives the ball. So the ball hits the glove. You have twelve seconds to have the ball out of your hand. That's the way I read that. Fair. So hopefully that'll be the case. When you actually break it down, that's that is a lot of time. That is a lot of yeah, time. They should, be, they should be able to reset. That's plenty. Yeah. So as a matter of fact, we can do a countdown here because we have a clock in our studio. Yeah, we do. Twelve, eleven, ten, ten nine, nine, eight, eight seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. That shouldn't be a problem at all. That was and, almost painful. And by the way, down and get a rosin bag. And, and Matthew was even rubbing up the ball a little bit. Yeah. I think that's enough time. And by the way, a second is much longer than I thought it was. (laughs) And it's going to be 14 seconds. It's it's not going to be 12. That was the old rule. And what what, right now they're asking for 14 with the bases unoccupied and 19 with somebody on base. Were you surprised that we had to slow down our counting there? No. A minute's a long time. People don't appreciate how long a minute is. And 40 seconds is what pitchers have been taking. 40 seconds. Yeah. Snooze. Yeah, that's one of the problems with the sport. Hey, great job today by our producer engineer, the one and only Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Thank you, Randy. Michelle, this was a fun Monday. Congratulations again to your Illini. Thank you so much. I will be riding high on that all week until we get to the the Big Ten tournament. She's not emotionally invested at all. I said I was a big fat liar. I know. I appreciate that. (laughs) At least I have the self-awareness to call myself out. (laughs) That's right. But you know what? I I won't. How about this? I'm not going to try to convince the entire St. Louis metro area to pick Illinois this year to win the tournament. I think behind I, the scenes, there might be a little arm twisting going on. Though. I might be whipping a few people <laughs> into picking them. We'll see. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show, The Balloon Party, next for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it.